Hi, my name is Cyril, and on behalf of Moose and Donald, my co-host, welcome to the maiden episode of After the Whistle. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. We will first turn our attention to the just-ended AFCON tournament, which was held in Gabon a couple of weeks ago. Also, we're going to stretch our attention to African players with dual nationalities. Is this becoming a fad? Should we be concerned? What does the team feel about this? And then we are going to figure out exactly what the Black Stars should be looking for in their new coach, given that Avram Grant just walked away. Before we begin, Moose Donald, what's your impression for the just ended Afghan tournament? Um, first of all, I'll ask this question: What makes a tournament, you know, a great tournament? I mean, I would say atmosphere. So supporters, fans, you know, supporters, fans, and you know, the general feeling about the tournament and interest, interest as well. And do we feel Gabon was lacking? Exactly, that's my point. I don't think this tournament had that. I think in the build-up to the tournament, I don't think there was so much hype around it. And at the same time, I think the fans at the stadium, I, I don't think there were that many fans at stadiums, you know, to watch games. So, yeah, generally, I just think it was weak when it comes to atmosphere. It did have a surprising winner, though, so it does have that going for it. Moose, your thoughts? Surprising? I wouldn't say surprising, but... I Given mean, the powerhouses of African football, I don't think many people tipped the eventual winners. Cameroon are a powerhouse of African football. Fair enough, but recently? Recently, they're on the come up. They're on the come up, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess them winning the tournament is proof that they're yeah, on the yeah, come up. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. on the come up. They've been able to convince, you know, a few really good young players to switch nationalities and play for them, yeah. which, which we'll get into later. So they're on the come up. But... Yeah, the thing about the AFCON is, I mean, even in Ghana, you realize there wasn't much interest. I think it was just his general apathy for the Black Stars, among yeah. other things. And the feeling was that we just wanted that we just wanted to get the AFCON out of the way, so to speak. Yeah, that it wasn't really a tournament that came, and it was just a tournament that came in between our regular Premier League season, and we just wanted it done with. So people wanted yeah, <laughs> yeah, to see yeah. how it would yeah. have an effect on the Premier League season. Exactly. It was a distraction, pretty much. Yeah. And I guess that just comes back to the whole chorus of we have it too often, we should change. I feel like even if you're going to have it every two years still, because you feel like the money still needs to go around, at least have it in the summer. I feel like having it in January is really causing some logistical problems for for some of the players and their coaches, you, you realize everything that happened with guys like uh, uh, Kojo Samoa who couldn't make it because he had to find his place in the team, so to speak. You had um, uh, Joel Matip. You had all these problems with, you know, mm-hmm. teams, you know, these European teams and their African stars. And I guess it just slowly, slowly starting to feel more and more like a distraction. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not. I mean, every time they call it the African Minnows Tournament, it's starting to really feel like the African Minnows Tournament. Because <laughs> as a Ghanaian, your interest only carries you as far as Ghana goes. And, you know, I mean, you look around and it's really, it's pretty much only among your circle of hardcore soccer fans that you find people still being interested in the <laughs> tournament. It's yeah. it's like a fit league somewhere. So that's how you really feel, Moose. <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's, it's <laughs> No, but I mean this AFCON needed work. It needed work. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't that captivating. There wasn't much interest. That's true. But yeah. still, credit to Cameroon. It was. It was a fun tournament. It had. It had its stories. It had its stories, and 
it still it still served up it served up its fair share of stories. So, uh, one thing Moose touched on that we hope to address in later episodes is the timing of Afcon. Moose proposed a summer a summer switch. There's also been talk about maybe alternating the number of years to maybe extend that to three years. Four years of it has even been proposed. So that's something that we definitely here at ATW are going to get to. But for our next discussion point, sticking with Afcon and African players. African players with dual nationalities. Uh, in recent years, it seems rather fashionable to see European-born players with African or African grandparents opting to play for the their parents or grandparents, you know, country of origin. How do we feel about this in general? Uh, don't know first words. I think, for the most part, it's opportunistic. Like a lot of these players look at it as an opportunity, as in the Euro- the players who. Are in Europe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, who have the opportunity to play for African nations, it presents an opportunity for them, because in Europe they are going to get better opportunities and better exposure. So once they try that and it doesn't work out, the African countries become the next option. That becomes option. a plan B. Yeah, exactly, it becomes a plan B. So then, yeah, as a player, what do you do from there? Moose. You share Donald's sentiment that African countries are just being used as plan B by European-based or European-born players of African origin heritage as well. There's nothing wrong with being a plan B. <laughs> I mean, the other option is... As long as it's beneficial for both it's parties. It's beneficial to both parties. The other <laughs> option is they will just refuse to play for you. Then you don't have those players because you have to, you have to admit you're selecting those players because they're good enough. That's true. Because you know they're good enough. These players are good. That's why they even had a look in for their European nations. They're good. We are talking about the likes of, you know, Inaki Williams, the likes of uh, Chupomoting. You know, these players were good enough as young players. To merit selection. To merit selection. And we have to admit it, their national teams are stronger sides. Are stacked. Exactly. They are stacked. They are mm-hmm. stacked. Mm-hmm. You know, and really have to be fair it you are the second option but that's life i mean you always go for your first option if it doesn't work out if you have another option you take it so if we can benefit from dual national players who somehow decide to play for us i'm fine i i have no qualms about it i feel i feel like we need more of those i have this theory that african national teams are going to be full of dual nationals or players who haven't you know who left who've been playing in um Outside. You know, European academies yeah. since they were 13. So American academies as well. I think I think America is a bit far off. But I would just say, well, the point is, right now, high-level elite football is European football. I mean, you watch the Copa America, and even if they're playing under South American managers who play a certain way, you have most of their stars having yes. learned their trade in Europe. So mm-hmm. you have to know. If, if we say most of high-level football is European football, I mean... We would call the Euros pretty much the elite. an elite tournament. The Euros, you can put the Euros at the same level as the mm-hmm. World Cup. And you know, inter- international club football, everybody knows is the Champions League. So you understand that if you're going to say the top style, we are all playing European football. The dominant. It, yeah, it's exactly. the dominant style. They're all going there to learn at, you understand, at the best, the best clubs in the world, under the best coaches. We can compete with that. Yeah. You have to understand, you can compete with that. I have no problem. I have no problem with the national team of kids who left when they were 13, 
know little about Ghana, just want to fly in, play a few games and go. Because we have to accept it's really, it's what it is. It's a result-based business. We wouldn't care. We wouldn't care if a team of mercenaries came in and won us the World Cup. We really, we really wouldn't care. Would, I, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Before we, before we advance that discussion <laughs> point, I just want us to go over FIFA's eligibility rules, just to provide some sort of context for our listeners as well. The switch to another country is not exactly as easy as some make it seem. There's actually a process to it. This was signed back in 2004. This was after the Gulf nations were stealing African players to supplement their national team. And FIFA decided to step in and have like rules to you know stop these things from happening. Running through the checklist, more or less. Uh, the player must be born on the territory of the relevant association. The player must have biological parents born on the territory of the relevant association. The player must have grandparents born in the territory of the relevant association. Or the player should have lived continuously for at least five years after reaching the age of 18 on the territory of the relevant association. So these are the criteria a player has to meet, one or more. Additionally, for a player to switch, they should not have represented another national team in an official competition. Now, FIFA classes youth-level games as non-official matches, and friendlies are also classified as non-official matches, which is why you could have a player, uh, Zaha, play through England under, under was 15, 18, 21, playing a friendly, but able to switch to Ivory Coast because he's never featured for the England national team in an official competition. So pretty much anything but qualifiers and tournaments. Exactly. Yeah. So these are the rules. Pretty, pretty, pretty stringent for the full oh, national yeah, team. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think they're so stringent. I think they're fair. I think they make yeah. tons of sense. I think they're yeah. fair. And they make. And again, once you represent a national team, you can't switch back. Yeah, you can't switch yeah. back. Mm. So do not begin this conversation about why players would want to switch to the African side. He was leaning a bit on the skeptical side, which I share with him to some degree, in that players didn't crack it for their European federations and decide to come to the African side just because it's a weaker selection and by virtue of being trained in Europe, they are elite compared to the competition they face with the European FAs. Moose, do you feel that this probably is a reason why to be more skeptical about European born Africans wanting to come play for African national teams or are you family or the opinion that once they come in and contribute and we get the results, that's all that should really matter. I'll put it this way. If you're the coach, you just need to select the best squad. The okay. best squad available to you. If they're dual national players who make themselves available to you and you know that they're better than what you would have, you go ahead. You go right ahead and you select them. You know, because you're trying to select the best squad of players that you can. And I don't care if you were born on the border of, you know, Mars and Venus, man. So long as by FIFA rules you can play for Ghana and you're good enough mm -hmm. and you're better than what we have, and you've offered yourself to play, you should be selected. Do you feel then, follow-up moves, do you feel then that the argument that's advanced sometimes about these players not having their right <laughs> sense of nationalism. It's a fair one to make. It's a fair one to make, but also, I mean, you have people born and bred in Ghana who have little nationalism in them, so 
little patriotism in them. So where do we go from there? I mean, patriotism is is pretty. It's a vanity metric. The way I say it, it's a bit of a vanity metric. Like no, how do you how do you measure patriotism? Do you see them <laughs> screaming out the national anthem? Does that make them, you know, better players, so to speak? Because at the end of the day, it's a game of skill. And I feel like you should you should pick the better skilled players. I've always said this. It will get to a time when our national teams are going to be filled with players who, you know, dual national players who got turned down by their first choice nations and this is the only option of being international stars. That's what's going to happen. And we have to deal with it because you have to accept that there is there is there is a gap in the level of football that is played. In terms of if African nations do want to compete, they do have to feel, they do have to match the gap that you're mentioning. And yeah. it's going to come with players who understand the system, who can actually compete with their European-based counterparts. So you are saying there's a there's a resource gap. Yes, there's a resource gap, and there's also, I mean, a skill gap. I mean, if if I was French, if I was you know if I was French, I would feel that, I mean, growing up in France and being able to you know make the best of the super French academies they have there. It would make me a better player than, you know, if I was there as a Ghanaian and I have trouble, you know, being able to legally, you understand, legally train, like trouble with my visas and stuff, with having, status, to, yeah. with, with having to, you know, have those opportunities afforded to me. So, I mean, look at Pogba. I think one of his brothers represents is a Guinea, Guinea yeah. and he represents France. France. Um, what do you call it? I think Salomon Kalou. They 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 pretty much wanted uh, uh, Marco Van Basten. Uh, what do you call it? Van Basten wanted to get him in. Get him in. The he was team. so vital to the tactical setup. He wanted to play that he wanted them to uh, like rush through his you know his eligibility, process, yeah. and then they turned him down. They were like, no, everybody has to go through the process, and. At the time when he was trying to play for the Dutch national team, I think his older brother was captain. Bonaventure Kalu was, was, you know, was a pretty big player for Ivory Coast. He was pretty important. So, you know, these things, these things happen. You make the most of them. And back to the Cameroon squad. I mean, you had seven players. Seven players refused to play. They still won the tournament. But I have to stop you then and say, these guys... <laughs> this is you preempting my question at this point. These <laughs> guys these guys play the qualifiers. These are the, for the, the players who refuse to show up the for the tournament. players who refuse to sh- show up. They played the qualifiers. So you have to understand that this whole process of winning the tournament is qualifying. And then playing the And then playing the tournament and winning it. They still play the part in the process. Donald, do you feel that the work they put in doing qualifiers is justification enough for them to turn down the opportunity to represent. Oh, I do not see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not see that. I'm just trying to say that... It's not as if they just showed up late to the party. In spite of the dastardly thing they did, they had they have still helped the process. Exactly. So, it, it's, in a way, it's still very much a part they of They have helped. Exactly. They helped. 
You get what I'm saying? They helped. They didn't just say, oh, we, we won't play qualifiers, select us for the national team. But this is the tournament. But this sentiment is shared in hindsight, and I'm curious what Donald thinks. The fact that Cameroon won now, it is shared in hindsight. we can look back and say them, them missing out still didn't affect them in the long run. But should Cameroon have done badly or poorly? Oh, we can say it affected them in lots of intangibles. <laughs> I mean, maybe the players not being there was able to foster like greater togetherness in the players who stayed. The coach probably used it to motivate them that, yeah. hey, yeah, those these those guys things. aren't there, but you have to show these guys that yeah. you can do it without them. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, I mean, what if they played and they didn't win it? Everybody would be happy. They wouldn't be villains, but Cameroon wouldn't. If I was Cameroonian, I wouldn't have it any other way. If, yeah. if there was a chance for me to redo it, I would say they should play, they should turn us down. And we we'll go and win the tournament. <laughs> I'll take that. No, you understand. Like the, I, uh, the end, pretty much justifies the mean. We yeah. won the tournament, right? Find your villains now. But if that was the series of fortunate and unfortunate events that took us to, you know, an Afghan title, then hey, I'll take it. I uh, don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree. I mean, like you said, hindsight, right? And um, who do you agree with? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you could agree with both, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but yeah, I, I get where I get where you're coming from. So I think um, their their contributions during the qualifiers are not you know irrelevant. They are still relevant. It got them into the tournaments, the finals, and you know. But um, I still think yeah, you know where I stand on this. Boycotting the whole tournament because of whatever reasons they had, I just don't think it. I, I just don't think it was right, and. I would say this. I think that with the youth tournament thing, yeah, in the rules where yeah. they say you know youth tournaments don't count, mm-hmm. I think there should be a time limit during that period. So what are you proposing then? So I'm proposing that maybe if you play for you know the junior teams like the under 18s, 21s, or whatever for a particular number of tournaments, let's say two tournaments, three tournaments, right? Okay, that should make you ineligible to play for another, another nation. So that way. They are, they are forced to make the decision early and they can they can find themselves in the system or around the group of people like the if you, let's say you choose to play for Ghana how long before you can make a switch then you have to make that decision before you begin but what would that, what would that help with like what, why? To, to foster to 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 or act as a way of you know instilling in them a level of patriotism for and me that's, for me that's the whole thing the whole thing for me is patriotism like get listen, them in early yeah so get them in early because if you are, you are 25 exactly if you are 25 or 28 and now you decide okay I've tried for years to get into the national team and I'm not getting in this is the European so the, the European national team yes right? I'm not getting in so now I want to take my chances with my plan B you yeah, understand which is the African yeah team. which is the African so at 28 or so 25 you, you come be, in you should be punished for that no, 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 it's not punishment. It's not being indecisive. You should be punished for, you know, I mean, we, we were punished for being indecisive in school, but no, no problem. That's a fair but point. No problem. But yeah, no, but why, you understand? Yeah, I, if, if you come in young, you find yourself around peers, you learn the culture, you understand them more. From a Donald, young age. you're just here to play football. <laughs> no, but he wants no. more than a team. No, he wants a squad. He wants exactly. a brotherhood. Because Moose, are you so against a team that bonds and you know has bad strips together? Exactly. No, it's not. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. So many of these teams, it happens during tournaments. It happens during qualifiers. It happens during training camps. I mean, I understand how sometimes you would wish that 
the players are friends mm-hmm. or whatnot. But I don't see what this would. No, no, no I, I totally get you. I get you. I know that yeah, at the end of the day, the football is the. It's the result that matters the, yeah, at the end. Exactly. But then before the tournament, right, yes, yes. Actually, was talking about how he was afraid that he was going to lose his position at Newcastle. Because it's of the, because of the, the business, yeah. yeah, business schedule. You understand? He was afraid, but then I, I, I would assume that it was mostly because he felt like he had a duty to, to serve Ghana, Black Stars, yes, yeah, to serve the, the the national team. So that was the main motivation behind coming. But then you have people like Afobi and um, Matip, yeah, Matip and squad. Them, who, <laughs> who would say you know who who can easily detach themselves at that moment in time when they have to make their decision? I put them. You understand? Yeah. So if that but, that level of patriotism is there, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but then you can you you feel that. It yeah. anchors them to yeah. the team and then gives them a sense of responsibility. I feel like that's a fair argument to raise, Moose. I just, I just still stick with what I said. Patriotism in this instance is a vanity metric. It doesn't really mm-hmm. count for anything. At the end of the day, it's about the football. If the football is great, if you win, we <laughs> move. I mean, come on. If I mean, are you going to say, oh, okay, um, let's just say in hand, we have um, Inaki <laughs> Williams, Mario Balotelli, and Danny Welbeck yeah. just show up and then. Mm-hmm. By some strange magical change of FIFA rules, they can play for Ghana. Now, are you going to say, "Oh, send him away because he can't speak Gal or Chi or you know doesn't know how to, like he shakes people with yeah. his left hand"? Sort of. No, come on, really. Yeah. It's about football. At the end of the day, some of these local players that you think are so patriotic, they yeah. probably aren't. They are actually here for their for their paychecks. They are here to take their money and go. They are here to do their jobs and go. It's a job. You understand. And the thing is. I feel like wanting to win the tournament should be paramount. For you understand, you're going to play well. You want to win the tournament for Ghana. You were born in Amsterdam somewhere, but today yeah. you are in Gabon with the Ghana national team. You're Black playing. Yeah. You're wearing the Black Star jersey. You're playing to win a tournament. You're giving your all. That's as much patriotism as I can expect from a football player. That is what I expect from a football player. So. I mean, the rules are the rules. They're the same for everyone. Pick the players who you feel are best for the squad. Yeah. The end. Okay, listeners. So we have moves going purely for results. And Donald pushing for a bit more ingrained patriotism from what the European-born players. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you guys think at GCR80W. That's our Twitter handle. Join in the conversation. Moving on to our next topic for this episode, one that we've been excited for for a couple of days now. So Abraham Grant is no longer coach of the Black Stars. The, we had a pretty disappointing tournament, truth be told. We felt we could have won the whole thing. So now just a quick post-mortem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they did build did the they? hype and we started believing in did them. <laughs> well, I did. What do we feel the weaknesses of the Black Stars are at the moment? Because you want to build a perfect coach to take the Black Stars to the next level. Because ever <laughs> since Korea, Japan, 2006, there's been that level that the Black Stars have been threatening to attain that we just keep falling short of. I personally feel Korea, Japan was our best World Cup. But again, Brazil came pretty close as well. For me, this was one of the most uncertain tournaments for me when it comes to the Black Stars, to be honest. Because I wasn't sure, you know, in terms of um, the striking situation, like who was, the, the who was going to lead the line, and I didn't even, I wasn't really sure who was going to start in defense. 
which for me are like the two key areas that were questionable for me in this team. So yeah, it was it was a very uncertain tournament for me going in. So, so that's why I didn't think I didn't think we were going to win. So if you had to come up with one major weakness of the Black Stars, yeah. would you go for problem in defense or the striking department? I would say it's more in defense. Okay. Because in attack, I mean, we had Jordan who coming through. Yeah, coming through. So that was okay. I, I, I just I wasn't too sure about our defense to be honest. Okay, so Donald is going with defense for one of our major weaknesses. Moose, the Black Stars, a major weakness song that you want to bring attention to. Major weakness or what I would look for in the new coach because. I figure we do weaknesses and then we figure out the characteristics we want the coach to have. So, like, uh, let's lay out the problems. You feel like let's lay out the problems. Huh? He's going to come in. I'm not to cut you off, I, but when our left back got injured, a winger came. We had to play Frankie yeah, Champong. We had to play you, Frankie Champong. But, but you have to understand that um, left backs are pretty much field wingers. So. <laughs> Fullbacks are field wingers. Well, that's, that's the attitude it. Grant seems to have when selecting their players. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, okay, no, sorry. They are not field wingers. But as a winger, you would also like have a bit of the you know the tactical nuance that a left-back should have. You're used yeah. to being close to the touchline. You're used to being, you know... You're just being a more defensive yes, position. Yes, you're used to being on, the sides, on the sides of the pitch. And you just have to do a bit more defensive work. That being said, I feel like, no, I feel like our biggest problem is... Um, Continuity. We don't. We don't really have a new generation coming through. You know, most of the time, I w- it, w- it would be best to have like a huge core group coming through, and then you know you pick bits and pieces from you know players who are in form, players coming up, younger players. You know, so you know that after this, and there's that's a progression. There is. There is. There is a progression. You know. Okay, the yeah. boys. For, a few of the boys from the under twenty are going to be. You know pushed into the squad. A few of the guys from the under-23 are also going to make the step up. You know, we groom, we move forward. And maybe, you know, you have a local squad that can fill in. That can fill in, you know, okay, these bench. guys, these exactly. guys. Are, because I think there was something Claude Leroy did. Bless him. He had a local Black Star squad and a lot of them are now, a lot of them went on to be fixtures in the national team, and a few of them still still remain. And yeah. they were they were quite good. I mean, you have to understand that the level it's it's quite a big jump. But a few of them were able to do quite well, secure themselves good moves, and you know they featured in the squad for a while. We need we we pretty much we need continuity. We don't know we don't know where the young the core is. We have we have um, Ajima Bedu. Dede Ayu from the Edmund Bedou and Dede Ayu from the uh, and um, I think um, Jonathan Mensah Jonathan Mensah yeah. Jonathan Mensah yeah yeah Jonathan Mensah who are who are in the under 20 squad right you need we, we need more of those people to come to because now you have all the players going out and who's going to replace them we don't really have I mean as far as forwards go we have Jordan Ayu and we have we took Jordan Ayu and we took Asamajan. Asamajan is is pretty much coming to the end. He's pretty much coming to the end. You know, you can tell his injuries are taking a toll. For me, I don't even know why we played him in the dead rubber uh, <laughs> Egypt game. I feel like if he hadn't played the Egypt game, he would have been available for the knockout tie. But hey, hindsight. So yeah, you you we need we need that. We need to know where we are going from here because now it just feels like. 
the squad is just made up of bits and pieces who yeah. just come in and go out, come in and go out. There is no core. There is no real core. You know, I mean, Thomas Partey came in. He's new, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like he's, he's, he's pretty highly rated. But another problem would be goal scoring. You... Donald said defense. I feel like we have a problem scoring goals, and that's where that's that that's, was my weakness. I was going from that's exactly <laughs> that's where that's where the whole you know disagreement with not selecting Kevin and Montari Montari comes in, and also just just to make a point to you, when you say two thousand and six was our best performance, well, you do know that two thousand and six we had a lot of great midfielders who were doing really well in Europe at the time. That's true. Yeah. So that just shows that because they were playing, you know, really high level football, the team benefited. The team, as the a team whole. benefited as a whole from those guys. You know, Michael Essien, Suleiman Tari, Stephen Appiah, and defense as well. <coughs> uh, John Mason. Exactly. You know, so pain still it was a pretty deep side. So I guess I mean, you can't be too sure, but I guess playing in Europe actually makes you a pretty good player. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so the three major playing for Champions League sides, playing for Champions League games, and I guess you're an okay, you're an okay player. I wouldn't know for I'm just asking. So I guess the three weaknesses we've identified is defense coming from Donald uh, Moose talking about. Having a sort of core team, a system, a generational shift, having a progression mm-hmm. along the different levels into the Black Stars team. Yeah. And he also preempted me, but basically, for it, our striking departments, we need more than John and Jordan. There has to be yeah. an in between. John is on the decline. We need a striker for now. And Jordan is now coming through. Yeah. We shouldn't really be relying on him to be the solution to our goal problems. Yeah. So these are our three major weaknesses for the Black Stars. Let's build a coach. What does the ideal coach? need to have the ideal coach for Ghana needs to be tactically has to um, yeah he has to be we need to be able to switch it up in games you know when a particular game plan is not going well we need to he needs to be able to assess the opposition and make a decision on the spot switch up play yeah switch up play find weaknesses <clears throat> prioritize attack going through the routes yeah exactly yeah. Moose, anything want to add to this super coach we are building for the Black Stars? Don't not mention tactically astute. What would you add to? They have to know what it means to coach in Africa. They have to know what it means to win games. So you have Africa. to have some African experience. Is that paramount? Not necessarily experience, but understand. They have how to have knowledge. The system, how they play. They, 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 they the have game. to have knowledge. Yes, okay. not necessarily experience. You know, someone who's actually not just someone who's finished his coaching badges and just wants whichever national team will take him to stick on the CD. Someone who actually feels like... No more gym teachers. <laughs> exactly. Someone who actually feels like he has a plan. You know, he has a, a medium, long-term plan to implement. You know, someone who... Someone someone who understands what it means to coach in Africa. I mean, you, you, you see all the time, I mean, some coaches, you think they're really good. They come around. They don't do quite well. You know, they don't do quite well. I think if you look at who Nigeria have, Nigeria's foreign coaches, they've all had some pretty swell CDs. But, I mean, they haven't... They Translating haven't, that to tournament yeah. wins and success has just been much more difficult. It's proven much more difficult because you have, to, you have to understand what you're coming to Africa to do. You have to, you have to be adaptable. You have to be adaptable to what it means to 
coach in Africa. So I would stick that there. And at the end of the day, we should we should take as long as we need to find the right guy. I feel like sometimes when some of the names come through, we should just yeah, we should just pick whoever we feel is best. I don't care if it's a foreign coach. I feel like as far as qualifications go, I would feel like the foreign coaches are better suited. But if we feel like having a local guy in who would understand the terrain better and also has a bit of, you know, a bit of foreign experience, you know, a former player that the players would respect, you know. I mean, anybody who ticks enough boxes. We've had coaches that... I don't know where they came from. I don't know how we found them. They've had bits of success. <laughs> They've had bits of success. But you just feel like that's the thing. You see, that's the thing about national team. There should be a long-term plan. So if maybe you're going to bring in tons of foreign coaches, at least, I guess, at the executive level, you should have a long-term plan where even when the coach changes, you know, you feel like, the, there's a sort of framework there's sort of yeah parameters. the objective so, is still there you know a, a, a few of these uh, clubs still have that you realize the code changes but I think the board still has the same mentality with respect to how they are running the club so the club still runs along a certain trajectory yes yeah. the coach just comes in and then just does the just pick whoever take how long however long you want pick whoever we can afford I'm <laughs> sick and tired of hearing about money issues with... There should be yeah. somebody that meets... Yeah. That falls within the budget of the GFA. <laughs> somebody who falls right yeah. smack in the budget, who's good enough, long-term plan, and someone who's who's, who's going to be able to, you know, like groom a squad. Because I feel like we're getting left behind. We're really getting left behind. A lot of these people, a lot of these people have... We don't have that many... Ghanaian players playing and you don't see that many Ghanaians in the Champions League like we did at the time of our golden generation. We don't have that many Ghanaian star players lighting it up, so to speak, if 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 you catch my drift. So I guess we need we need to get we need to get back to that. We really need to get back to that. And I guess really can't help with that. I mean it's up to the players to make it there and there's so many things. But there's a fear we're getting left behind, you know. There's a fear we're getting left behind. You're not watching that many Ghanaians in the Premier League, you know. In so Europe in general, actually. In Europe in general. So we really have a lot of work to do. And, I mean, that's just that's just part of it, you know. You're cheering them at their clubs and you're cheering them while they play for, for you. your national team. So we have work to do. We just need a coach who sees that we're getting left behind and there's a lot of work to do and it's... You know, it's prepared to get us to that level. Uh, my addition would be to have a coach that actually prioritizes the local league as well, <clears throat> because I do feel that the national, the head team coach, should have some inputs as to how our local league is structured, trying to get local players in. Because for far too long, we've coasted by the saying that the local guys are not good enough. We should put frameworks in place to make sure that at the very least we are getting four, five players <laughs> from the country or from the local leagues that can at least play the qualifiers and make it to the tournament. So are proper. you calling for a quota? Because I feel like... If I would want to enforce a quota, but then if that's what it takes <laughs> to get the minimum in, I'd say let's do a quota. I feel like if it's, if it's justified, it's justified. If the, I wouldn't be surprised if the local players are not good enough. I wouldn't be surprised. A few of them have been tried, but <clears throat> they couldn't step up to the plate. They couldn't hack it. The GFA, if you are listening, we've set... <laughs> 
the ATW team has given that criteria for what who the next coach should be in terms of the characteristics they should have. We haven't said anything controversial. We haven't said anything controversial, and one key point to stress is take as long as you need to find the right person within within budget. We can't stress that enough. Uh, listeners, let us know again on you know Twitter the handle at GCRATW. Let us know what criteria you think should also be included when looking for a national team coach. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our discussion this week, share the episode with two friends. Continue the conversation with the ATW team and other listeners on Twitter at GCRATW. If you're old school, send us an email. Our email address is after the whistle at the goldcoachreport.com. That is after the whistle, all one word, at the goldcoachreport.com. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for the Gold Coast Report. That's the Gold Coast Report. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to us on SoundCloud as GCRATW or just look for After the Whistle on whatever podcast manager you use. Make sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. After the Whistle, dominate the conversation. Neymar, Busquets. Y va al ataque de nuevo el futuro campeón de liga. Messi dejando el balón para Neymar. Atención, ahí fuera de juego. Balón para Luis Suárez. Gol. Va a golpear Cristiano. Se espatarra el bicho. Va a golpear con la derecha. Chuta Cristiano. Gol. Costa turns out the final. Irving and Curry, one-on-one, Irving puts it up, it's good, Curry!